0: This morning we are in John 15. We're going to start in verse nine, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. So it's a little bit of a longer reading this morning. Uh, John 15:9 through 27. <clears throat> Let me. Uh, I'll read these verses together again. Uh, chapter 15, starting in verse nine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in, ever ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, My servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will also persecute you. If they had kept if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things that all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates, he hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Again, Father, we ask that you bless our time. Uh, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be here with us uh, to illumine our hearts and minds. Father, open it. Uh, Open our hearts and minds to your word, and we pray that you will use your word today to accomplish what you have set it forth to accomplish. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Sproul's title of this chapter is The Cost of Discipleship. That is the title, The Cost of Discipleship. Two weeks ago, uh, in, in our lessons, we discussed the legacy that Jesus was leaving, if you remember. He was leaving a legacy of his peace, if you remember. That was his legacy. Well, today he expounds upon that. In addition to his peace, uh, he's also telling us that he is leaving us three more things. He's leaving us his love. He's leaving us his joy. And he's leaving us the enmity of the world. Now, all three of these things are connected. They're not uh, independent. They're all connected. The the peace that he gives us is tied uh, to his love. And the love that he gives is tied to those who are his. That love and peace uh, are the basis of our participation in his joy. His peace, his love, and his joy, all together, again, uh, interdependent, uh, persist even though this world's hatred is... uh, is alive and well, and the fact that uh, the world does hate us, the fact that we have his peace and his love and his joy, they do what for the Christian? They sustain us through all this. And the Christian can endure that hatred of the world because of Jesus' peace, love, and joy. Let's start here in verse 9. Uh, in the first part of uh, verse 9, Jesus said this. He says, As the Father loves me, I, have also, I also have loved you. Now, if you ever wondered how much Christ loves you, well, then think just for a moment about what he just said. He's not simply saying that the Father loved him, and then he loved his disciples, and then the disciples loved each other. He's not really saying that. He's saying what? He says, I love you the same way the Father loves me. That's what he's saying. I love you the same way the Father loves me. Me. Now, when you think about that for a minute, uh, if you're honest with yourself, who of us can possibly understand the depth of just how much the Father loves the Son? If you think about that for a minute. That is, is a staggering thing to think about. And Jesus was saying, the same way He loves me, I love Him. You have that same love for you. That's absolutely amazing, isn't it? And he goes on to say in the second half of verse nine and 10, he says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now the, the English transition, English translation makes the passage a little awkward uh, because it, sometimes it can mislead us, and and we can miss the real meaning here. And the fear, if you read this the wrong way, that 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 it, you might read it this way, that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It may seem somewhat that abiding in Christ is conditional. You may, th- it may, some people may think that uh, they, they will read it like, uh, I'll, "I'll love you as long as you're obedient, but the moment you're not, I'll stop loving you." Now. We know that is not what Jesus said here. That is not the right way uh, to read this verse. He gave them a mandate to per- persevere into in their faith, to stay close to him. We talked about that last week. And to be fruitful and to be obedient. So he's actually saying, if you stay in my love, you will be obedient. That's really what he's saying. If you stay in my love, you stay close to me, you abiding in me, you will be obedient. Though his love for us is not a result of our obedience. Rather, our obedience is a result of our love for him. Right? That is the way, that the proper context in which to look at this. That's why I said back in John 14, uh, 15, he says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. Remember that, he said that, Right? Here in this passage, because we just studied that just a few weeks ago, but here in this passage, he is deepening that. He's taking that to another level. He's saying, because I love you and have chosen you out of the world and brought you to myself, you will be fruitful. You will be obedient. Uh, Dr. Sproul said he'll never forget uh, what one of his graduate school professors uh, said about this. He says, gentlemen, the essence of Christian theology is grace. And the essence of the Christian ethics is gratitude. The essence of Christian theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. We we are not driven uh, to obey Christ in order to get good with him, to make him happy with us, to please him, or or just to to get something from him. We are driven to obey him from a heart full of gratitude. Why? Because of what he's done for us. Right? Right? For what he's done for us. The reality of what he has done for us. It is gratitude. We obey him because of what he's done for us. Then Jesus looks at joy. Verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. Now what we know about Jesus um We know that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as was told to us in Isaiah. He knew pain beyond anything any of us could ever even imagine or even begin to think, to experience. Right. He knew that in just a a superhuman way. But in the midst of all the pain, uh, physical pain that he uh, uh, experienced, the sorrow that he experienced, the affliction, the humiliation stood this Christ whose whose life was marked by joy in the middle of all that. His life was marked by joy. So this too was part of his legacy to the disciples. In fact, we know that we experience similar situations in our lives. Again, none of them compare to, to what Jesus went through. Uh, among us, some, some more or less, I mean, depending on um, just the situations of life. But in the depths of our hearts and our souls should be this spirit of joy. You and I, because of what Jesus has done for us, should not be circumstance controlled. We should not be circumstance controlled. Whatever is going on in our lives Because of what Jesus has done for us, we should experience joy. We should exhibit joy. Our Doctor Sproul said nothing more clearly marks the Christian than the joy he or she manifests apart from circumstances. You see, not being circumstance controlled, a continual state of just of joy. Now it ebbs and and, and flows, right? We understand that, right? We're we're fallen Mm -hmm. human beings. We sin, but but what he's saying? What's the mark? Of the Christian, the true Christian, is that spirit of joy, regardless of the circumstances. It's not a, and it's not a false joy. It's not just a, you know, a smile on your face and a grin. You know, it's real, heartfelt joy, and because of again, because of what Jesus has done for us. And it was it was Jesus' purpose that His joy would remain in them, and the joy would be full. Um, just as uh, jesus maintained his obedience to the father that was the basis of his joy was obeying the father that's what was that's what he was here to do and he got his joy was made full It was made perfect his obedience to the father and so as with the believers as with us we are to be obedient to his commandments and praise the lord we can experience the same joy do and you can just for a moment you can you know if you're honest with yourself if if you experience a season of disobedience where you're not close to him right abiding in him when you jesus doesn't leave remember you're the one that leaves we're the one that leaves we we leave him what happens what happens to our joy suffers doesn't it? it suffers jesus experienced the fullness of his joy when when he sat down at the right hand of the father That was the experience, the fullness of his joy. His his glory at that time was restored, the glory that he had experienced and known from all eternity. And he was back there. And that is, today, that is the joy he shares with us. Then he said in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Let me read that one again. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he just told us, He just told us that the Father, that He loves us. How? In the same way that the Father loves Him. Right? So now He's saying, you love one another even as I have loved you. Dr. Sproul said, I I liked it when He said, as the Father loved me, I also loved you, but I don't know if I like this statement. Why? He's saying we will love each other the same way the Father loves the Son. Now, I can try to love you. We can try to love each other. But, but to love you as much as Jesus has loved me is completely beyond my natural ability. He loved us when we were unlovely, right? He loved us when we were enemies. Yet we're called to model that kind of love. Love. No, no wonder Jesus talks so much about sending the Holy Spirit as our helper. We need help with this, don't we? We cannot do this in our own ability. We cannot love each other in this way without some help. Verse thirteen he says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Um Paul, Paul reminds us in Romans 5 that Christ demonstrated the greatest love by dying for his people when we were yet still enemies with him. And so here Jesus is speaking about the nature of friendship. Speaking about the nature of friendship. He's saying the greatest love that anyone can have for a friend is to lay down one's life for his sake, to offer to die in his place. Short, uh, Dr. Sproul commented that shortly after uh, Chuck Colson was released from prison, y'all remember this name um, involved in the Watergate stuff. He was he was giving a speech at an Ivy League school, and he began the speech, and a group of students began heckling him, and and just just interrupting everything. And so they they finally they got him. They interrupted him, and and they said, "How in the world could you have defended Richard Nixon?" How'd you defend him? How could you stand up and defend him? He stopped his speech and he answered this. He says, "I defended him because he was my friend." And everybody stopped. He says the students came to their feet and they applauded because he had struck a nerve. He had struck a nerve with the students. This idea of friendship. He did this based on this idea of friendship. He defended him because he was my friend. I, and have you seen the movie Tombstone? White art movie back in the day. It's one of my favorite man movies. Okay, you don't watch it. We own that movie because it's a favorite man movie. Um, you watch it. I have now watched it with, uh, I think, I don't know if Samuel's watched it yet. I think, but Jace has. He's old enough because there's some... Some stuff in it, right? You gotta be careful. You know there's a little discernment. But I like it because of a lot of things. But when one particular scene, if you're familiar with the characters, okay, you got Wyatt Earp, the legendary lawman, right? And you got Doc Holliday, who's a questionable character, right, we could say, right? Um, and when uh, when when Curly Bill and the crowd had shot up, you know, Wyatt's friends, his brothers, one of them's dead, they buried him, Wyatt goes on a well, he calls it a reckoning as what. This is what Doc Holliday called it. They, they said, Hey, he's getting revenge on Curly Bill. But what did White said? This is not revenge. This is a reckoning, which is pretty impressive, right? It's a reckoning, but so they had had one of their uh, fights by the river and just, just, I mean, knocked away a lot of these guys and repelled these guys, the bad guys and, and White standing there by the river and Doc and, um, Oh, what was his name? Now lose his name? I can't remember the guy's name that's joined them in the battle. Um, Creek, Creek Johnson. That's who it was. Creek Johnson sitting there and Doc, you know, had tuberculosis. Okay. Y'all know that. They called him a lunger. Right. Uh, So y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all haven't watched this movie. Hey, you need to go watch it. You need to watch it. I need to go watch it. So they're, they're by the river. Creek Johnson's there. Doc is leaning back because they are just glad to still be alive, you know, after this gunfight. And Doc gets up and he's coughing because he's got tuberculosis, right? And um, Creek Johnson says, "Doc, why are you doing this?" He says, why, "Why are you here? Why are you not? Why are you doing this?" And he says, "Because Wyatt Earp is my friend." And Creek Johnson said, "I got a lot of friends." And Doc Holliday said, "I don't." Friendship. Amazing bond of friendship. That's one reason why I love the movie so much. So, this what we know about friendship. What we know, um, Jesus is talking about his his friends, and we know that this world we live in today is a wasteland of broken relationships. Okay. Uh, and, and this, 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 where Nixon was, excuse me, where Chuck Colson was talking, the students knew that. And so when he said he defended him because he was my friend, every one of those students was longing to have at least one friend like that. One friend who would do that. So this wonderful idea of friendship. And Jesus added to this statement in verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now Again, he was not making a conditional statement. Okay, He was saying, you're my friends and you will do whatever I command you. That's what he was saying. And he continues in verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that i've heard from my father I have made known to you now he was again he was he was not saying that he was about to stop being their lord okay he's not saying that okay that's that's definitely not what he was saying what what he, what he's saying in in other words is he says i've related so far up until now i've related to you as a master relates to his students as a rabbi to the students, you, you've been my disciples, right? You have been enrolled in my school for the last three years. I've been your professor and you've been my subordinates, right? This position of authority here, right? But but today is graduation day is what he's saying. And from now on, I want you to look at me as your friend. Now He's also Lord. He's not saying he's not, but he's saying it's a different relationship. It's graduation day. Dr. Sproul gives another um illustration from his past. He says when he had come back from grad school in Europe, he went to dinner with one of his favorite professors in seminary, which whom you know because we've mentioned him, right? Dr. Gershner, right? Um, again, you need to go, he's got some great stuff on the internet, you can go watch him. But but so he has dinner with Dr. Gershner. And when he met Dr. Gershner for dinner, he addressed him as such, as Dr. Gershner. So what he that's how he addressed him, right? And so um Doctor Gersten said, "No, don't call me Doctor Gerson, Call me Jack. Call me Jack. Right? He's no longer in the class. You graduated. Call me Jack." Doctor Sproul said, "I couldn't do that. Said <laughs> so I could not call him Jack." He says he, he, so he he, he wouldn't, he, he, he just couldn't call him Jack. He says later, he said that, that later that next day he ran into a friend and, and his friend would call him Jack. And he, and he says, Dr. Sproul asked his friend, he said, how in the world can you call him Jack? He says, well, because he wants us to call him Jack. He says, well, he might want us to call him Jack, but I will never call him Jack. He will always be Dr. Gerstner to me. And he says, to this day, as this was written, this commentary, I always called him Dr. Gerstner, nothing else. He says, why? He says, because as a student, I was deeply impacted by him. He was my professor. And he said, so I have this esteem for him. And some of you know this. You know, you see a teacher or a professor or something, you still call him Mr. or Mrs. or Doctor or whatever, right? There'll always be that to you because they had an impact on your life, right? They had an impact. And you want to show respect. You want to respect them for the for the... The, the place they had in your life. And it's, uh, and that's what Dr. Sproul said. It was, it was my way to show respect. I used the title. I would not, uh, change from that. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus here, uh, is showing his friendship. Because why? Because he has confided in them the deepest things his father has all confided in him. Okay. He's, he shared with them everything. And when you think about that, a master does not confide in a servant, do they? They do not confide, right? As, as, as he was pointing out, however, he, he did say that he had told them all things that his father had told him. And this is the way of what? This is not a friend. This is not a master-servant relationship. This is the way of a friend. Who do you, who do you confide in? You confide in your friends, right? Your closest friends. That's who you confide in. You open up. You, open, you tell them everything. You don't hold anything back. If you're struggling with something, you tell them everything, right? If things are going good, you, you you help with each other, right? You And it's vice versa, right? It goes back and forth. And you confide in each other. And this is the way of friendship, right? This idea of friendship. Verses 16 through 17, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. Now, just in case the disciples had um, any reason to be prideful or to to think they had somewhat earned a position with the Savior. What is he telling them? You didn't choose me, but I chose you. You're here, disciples, in Jesus' words, in and, and that context, you're here because I chose you. That's why you're here. That's why we're having this conversation. So is any any reason for any sort of spiritual pride, Jesus is saying, may it not be. You're here because I chose you to be here. He, he made it, he made it clear that this privilege, because this is an amazing privilege, the disciples to be with Jesus, an amazing privilege, it had nothing to do with their own merit, right? It had everything to do with Jesus' sovereign choice on their lives, right? That's the reason, that's why he said it. The, um, we talked, he, he said, whatever you ask in my Father's name, He may give you. We talked about that idea a couple of chapters ago, right? About the how to about, about praying uh to the Father and it's not uh he's not saying that the Father is some divine uh vending machine where you just ask him whatever you want he gives you. We know there's a whole lot more to that. But one of the purposes of God's sovereign election, because this is okay, he's talking to the disciples. I chose you. I mean, okay specifically to them in the immediate context, right? He's talking to them. You're here. But in the broader context we're this is exactly the way the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, that's exactly the way they have ordained election, the doctrine of election, right? It is It is sovereign choice of, of God himself on who are his friends, right? It's a sovereign choice. And, of course, um, based on this revelation that they're blessed with this, then they should have understood that, okay, now I've chosen you for this reason, and now you've got to bear fruit. And we've talked about that uh, last week or two weeks ago. As, um, as Jesus' disciples now and now his friends is what he has told them and, and you and I can enjoy the same type of relationship. We have received his peace. Okay, We've received his love. We've received his joy. But what was the last one that we mentioned? Enmity. Enmity with the world. We must also partake in that inheritance as well. The legacy of the world to Christ is enmity. It's scorn. It's rejection. It's hatred. It said in verse 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We've heard, we've talked about Dr. Sproul's conversion experience and the way he prayed for his then girlfriend who eventually became his wife. So we know that Dr. Sproul became a believer in college. And so he tells of us uh, when he had, after he had become converted, become saved, he had come home to his hometown and and got back together with his hometown buddies, his you know his group of guys, who he was uh, kind of unofficially the leader of the group, right? He's the guy, he's the guy that everybody looks to, and he was so excited. He was so excited to tell them now he's a believer. He wants to tell them about Jesus, and and he had he says, man, this is great. I got great news to tell these guys. I look forward to seeing them. I'm going to tell them, hey. They're going to learn about Jesus and they're going to become saved too. They're going to get saved and it's going to be great. So he's excited. He was all excited. He Expect them. Hey, I'm the leader. So they're going to listen to me and they're going to jump on board. Well, what do you think happened? They completely rejected him. Completely rejected him. And he was hurt. And I guess, you know, we all would be, right? It all would be, because why? Because he thought they were his friends. Has has there ever been a new Christian, have you ever known anybody, uh, been a new Christian who did not want to share about their newfound faith with their friends? I mean, absolutely, we would want to share that, right? Because if I'm in a group of non-believers and now I'm a believer, I... My eyes have been opened. I'm saved. I know where my destination for eternity is, but it won't be with them, right? And I want that for them, right? That's what we want for our, we want our friends. We want, not just a stranger, we want our friends, right, to know about Jesus. We want our friends to be saved, right? And you know, um, that new believer, at it, it, it first, it's a, it's a, yes, we definitely want to shave that, uh, share that, but it seems like over time, uh, that enthusiasm uh, we can kind of learn sometimes to be a little bit more discreet sometimes why well because usually as we meet uh, for the first time we meet real opposition right for the first time before being saved uh, you didn't you kind of fit in you didn't you didn't have any opposition from the world but now as a believer we got a problem they got a problem with us this this world as we know and jesus is telling us this this world hates the things of christ in fact, this world hates Christ. The world hates Jesus. Un- unbelievers can-, can tolerate Christ. The idea of Christ is-, is as long as you strip him of his true identity. If you make him maybe a good teacher or something, you make him not the Messiah somehow, then they maybe sometimes they're okay with it. But when Christians proclaim the Christ from the Bible, okay, when they proclaim that, when they teach that, when they share that, And they demonstrate their allegiance to this Christ of the Bible. then what happens? They are despised by the world. Absolutely despised. That's why Jesus gives us a warning. We find it in Luke 6, 26. He says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. You think about that for a minute. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Dr. Sproul said, if you've made friends with the world. Okay, and I, I'm not, he's not saying if you have friends in the world. It's not, he says, if you have made friends with the world. Okay, and he's talking to believers here. If you have made friends with the world, you must have done it by compromising Christ. Let me read that again. Dr. Sproul's words. If you have made friends with the world non-believers, the world who hates Christ, you must have done it by compromising Christ. Whoa. Whoa. Now, that's a lot, right? Uh, does that mean that we go into the world and we pick fights? No. it's not what it means, right? We don't go into the world and we pick fights. We're not we're not supposed to go looking for persecution, right? Or hostility. Okay? He says, but if you never experience it, that should be a wake-up call. Okay? I'll say that again. We're not supposed to go looking for persecution or hostility, but if you never experience it from the world, that should be a wake-up call. We may... Not be as committed to Christ as we think we are. Hmm. That's hard to hear. Very hard to hear. Jesus continues, verse 20. He says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus came into a world that was completely against him, right? The Father did, had given him some out of the world, right? And is it is uh, for uh, that reason that we still um, we we can still be His friends. We can be friends with Jesus. We can we can want our friends to also believe our non-believing friends. We want them to be saved. We so we do what we bear witness, we share testimony, we. Talk about Christ to our friends. We, we show them love, um, uh, the not, our non-believing friends in hope that they will come to Christ, right? And to be able to also partake in this legacy. The legacy of what we talked about is peace, joys, love, but also rejection from the world. But we can expect that some non-believing friends of ours will reject all of that. And as a, and as a result, we need to expect they will, they may very well also reject us for offering it. Jesus said, Hey, they rejected me. He says, A servant cannot expect any better treatment than his master. They did it to me, they're going to do it to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Hmm. Jesus goes on verse 21 and 22. He says, but all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus is again reminding the disciples that his father has demonstrated perfectly right that he is God's son, that Jesus is God's son. Didn't, he hadn't just said it, he, he, he said, he proclaimed it, but it was also demonstrated by the power that was within Jesus, right? And also by the miracles that he had performed. It was clear, it was evident, right? Of who Jesus was. And no one in this time and place, in that generation when Jesus walked the earth, no one could claim ignorance as an excuse for rejecting him, not one. He, it had been said, it had been demonstrated, it was obvious. So no one could claim ignorance. Ignorance. No, no one can say like uh, the Pharisees did. We love the Father, but we reject this crazy man who's going around here saying he's the Son of God. Right? We love the Father, but we reject him. He says, "Nope." He says, "You can't have it both ways." Jesus is saying, "You cannot have it both ways." He's the Son. Christ is the Son, and if you cannot love the Father without loving the Son, if. You reject the son, then you're also rejecting the father. Jesus continues. Verses 23 through 25. He says, he who hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and have also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the world might be, the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So building on what he had just said, he adds, rejection of the son is also rejection of the father. Actually, and you're doing more than just rejecting the father. You're actually hating the father. By rejecting the son. That's a strong word right. You're actually hating the father. Whom they claim to love. Whom they claim to serve. He says if you rejected me. Then you're actually hating the father. Now this statement he says. um, He says if I had done. If I had done nothing among them the works. Which no one else did. They would have no sin. Okay now. He doesn't mean. That if he hadn't done these things. They would be sinless. That's not. That's not. What he, what he means. He he means that his, his coming, his being here, his doing what the father had sent him, uh, to do, the, the rejecting, the rejection of that, the rebelling against that is the absolute most worst deadliest sin. Okay. Rejection, the sin of unbelief, right? Um, it was the, the, the decisive Sin or rejection, because they were partakers of it. They could see, they heard, they saw, and they rejected. Still, they decided to reject him. It was deliberate, and it was a fatal choice. Okay, a deadly choice of darkness over light, of death over life, is what he speaks about. He had he had done so many miracles. He had. He had spoken uh, um, just so many words of of love, of of truth, right? He had the words of truth. He actually, he he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt he's a Messiah. He's the Son of God. Yet, they would not believe. They were belligerent, in fact, in their love of their own sin and the rejection of the Savior. They should have done what? They should have bowed down to him and worshipped him. That's the appropriate response, isn't it? But instead, they hated him without a reason. Jesus was quoting Psalm sixty-nine, verse four. He says, "Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head." That's a Psalm of David, right? All those messianic Psalms. Um, The full verse goes: "Those who hate me with this is Psalm sixty-nine, four. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head." They are mighty who will destroy me, bringing my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. See, coming from David, right? But also just foreshadowing the the way that the world would deal with Christ about their hatred from completely unfounded hatred. Finally, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. We mentioned this earlier about this um, about how we should love each other as um, the Father, as, as Christ has loved us, and how there is. And, and, and how does He love us? The Father loves Him, right? I mean, it's the same. It's this amazing um, statement from Jesus. And admittedly, we can't do that without help. And so Jesus here says in verse 26 through 27, He says, But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This promise, this promise of the Helper, the Paraclete, our Counselor, right? The one who would be our defense attorney, all those things, right? He would come in strength, right? Not to, not to, remember we talked about the Holy Spirit. He's not one who comes after you're in battle and you're beat up and you're bruised and he, and he and he wants to help you with your wounds no he wants to come ahead he wants to come before the battle he wants to strengthen you right before you go into the battle and he's with you in the battle i mean it's that kind of comforter right it's a it's a warrior i mean it's 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 a, it's not a um very passive uh, person it's 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 the holy spirit and he said he is your helper he will be your helper The Holy Spirit would do what? He would testify to them of Jesus. He would empower the disciples to testify of him in the world, in the region, Uh, in the middle of what? He's just got done saying, they're going to hate you for it. Absolutely, they rejected me. They're going to reject you. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you though. Mm. The Holy Spirit, whom we will send, who proceeds from the Father, will be with you to strengthen you. And as we consider that, that that promise that Jesus gives here, this promise, the the promise of the Spirit, of the Helper that He has sent, that promise has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled originally at Pentecost, and guess what? It's still being fulfilled today, 2,000 years later. It continues to be fulfilled. Why? Because the wonderful message that Jesus left with His church is continuing to go around the world. Isn't it? The Holy Spirit is moving among His people. He's The the believers, Christians, are bearing witness to Christ all around the globe. Right? The gospel is going forth amid persecution. Right? But what do we have? In the middle of persecution, we have His peace. We have His love. We have to stay close to His love. We have His joy, regardless of the circumstances. And those all... Fuel us and keep us going. In the middle of a world who hates us. We have about a minute left. Any questions or comments? Okay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Thank You for this uh, portion of Your Word. Thank You for the work that um, that dr Sproul did uh, while he was still here uh, to make this um, teaching available to us father we thank you for that and we um, thank you for uh, the group here thank you for our church father we thank you for this church and what it's meant uh, to this community uh, for generations father as you leave our time of study father we leave we go into a very very special time of worship father we pray that as we uh, as the word calls us to worship father that we would Uh, put aside uh, all those things of the world that would distract us, Father, and focus upon you and your word and pray for our pastor, Father, as he leads us. Father, we pray that you will continue to uh, use him in a mighty way here uh, in the pulpit of this church, all for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.